Hey, we're so excited you decided to join us on today at our Shades and Justice podcast with Dr. Evelyn Hill. We're so excited you decided to stop by. Hey, check us out on our website, www.drevelynhill.net. Yes, we are excited to have you as our special guest on today, Officer Jonathan Westbrook. And uh, if you don't mind, Officer Westbrook, do you um, mind if we jump right in and ask you some questions about when you were um, growing up as a young African-American male, what were your experiences that you remember about police officers? Um, So as a young African-American male, I mean, I was really taught from my parents that to respect the authorities, um, don't give them a reason to have to engage or interact with you. Um, so I, I had, a, I think, a healthy respect, not so much of fear, but a healthy respect of law enforcement in general. Um, I understood they had a place that, that uh, they were there to, you know, just keep order. And so for me, my, my thing was just respect them, don't speed, don't be engaging in those activities that would cause them to have to come and visit you or stop you. Um, so my, my history with, with, with the police at such a young age where I, I just respected them, um, they left them alone, they left me alone and everything was okay. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and, uh, do you remember having any positive or bad, uh, relationships maybe that your, uh, other relatives had beyond your parents, good or bad? Um, so I, you know, we all, we all have folks in our families that don't make the right decisions sometimes. And that, that's not a, a, you know, I don't want to, you know, not we just, you just got family that kind of dip off on some things they should be doing. So um, I've, I know that they've had interactions with police, but I didn't hear any stories where, you know, there was a crazy abuse or, or, you know, some of the things that we've seen on television today, I'm not aware of any of those interactions happening with, you know, my relatives. Um, but I think, I mean, the overarching belief and understanding when it came to law enforcement as I was growing up and even with my relatives is just don't give them a reason to come and talk with you. Don't give them a reason to come and stop you. If you're rolling, make sure your tags are right. Um, you know, if you're going to be doing something, um, again, just don't give them a reason to come and mess with you. And I think that was the overall attitude of, of, that I was taught, I think most of my relatives uh, really practice uh, when I was growing up. Oh, okay, good. I think that's the way uh, we were raised also. Uh, you know, just respect the officers and um, don't give them a reason, you know, just obey the law. So we pretty much uh, were taught the same thing. So, um, what were some of the positive factors that you discovered about police officers that helped you choose uh, law enforcement as a career opportunity? And how many years have you been a police officer? And how long have you worked directly with the chief's office? So I've been with the police department for 13 years, and I've been working directly in the chief's office for the last four years, I'd say. Um, as far as some of the positive factors that I think led me with law enforcement was that um, I, throughout my youth, uh, I was under under the direction of Pastor Leroy Sullivan, and um, 
he was very heavy on community, community relations, community building, being active and engaging with the community. And so when I graduated from high school, I wanted to work somewhere where I would be working with the community. And my initial, uh, my, my initial thing to get into was actually the Air Force. I wanted to be like my father, do, you know, do my time in the Air Force and reap all those benefits from that time served. Uh, but it was as I began that transition to the Air Force, I found out that he was, he had fallen ill. He eventually passed away from uh, his cancer. But in that time, I saw law enforcement as a way to engage with the community. Um, I didn't want to sit behind a desk all day. Uh, I wanted to be out there, uh, be out, just be out. I wanted to be out there meeting people, talking with people, uh, serving people. And law enforcement was uh, the great, you know, perfect opportunity when I applied. I didn't think I was going to get the job. Uh, matter of fact, I applied and it was several months before I ever heard anything back from them. So, um, but in, in that meantime, I was very active in community outreach with my church. And um, uh, again, with law enforcement, just provide the perfect segue to get into that work where, again, you're serving people, uh, you're making a difference, uh, and, and that's still still happening today. Okay, well, boy, that's, that's pretty good. And that, that kind of leads me directly into our next question, which is, um, uh, what I just noticed over the years, and I've known you for a few years, that uh, you're always mentoring, advising, counseling other young men. And uh, part of what you just said kind of helps me understand why. But is, do you feel like that is part of a calling or a passion or responsibility? What, what drives you to continue to um, invest time in our young African-American males or any young males? Oh, so one of my, and I, I speak fairly freely of my father and his experiences because they, no, I think they, they've had a direct effect on me, but then when you look at the community and the world in the larger picture, the absence of men in their children's lives, my father never knew his father and he carried that pain and that hurt for so long. And I think if we look at our community, just our local communities, and we see the broken homes, we see the lack of male mentorship, the, the lack of, and not even lack of male mentorship, but the lack of correct and good moral male mentorship. Uh, Cause you got mentors out there, but, they're not all teaching and, and, and pushing the children in the right way. And so uh, I got five kids. I'm not trying to be everybody's father. Uh, so, but beyond, <laughs> beyond outside, you know, beyond my four walls, uh, making sure that those young men and, and, and they don't always have to be an African-American, but the young men have uh, someone that they can, they can talk to and they can, and you can pour your experiences. You can lead them and guide them in the right direction. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, again, women women do a lot. They carry those children for nine months. They nurture. Um, they are the backbones of a lot of our a lot of our homes and a lot of our communities. But men also have uh, quite a bit of responsibility and influence in in the lives of children. And so, um, I'm, again, I'm not claiming to be the perfect. By no means am I the perfect example of a man or or a father. But being present and making uh, attempts to engage with uh, not only my children, but the, the children out in the community, and not just the children, but the, uh, the young adults and e even other adults. I, those relationships are vital. 
Um, they're going to, they are what helps us make the right decisions, help lead us and guide us in the right direction. And, and so I, I think that's one of my biggest things or biggest factors for one team, wanting to be um, involved in mentoring and, and teaching and, and, and guiding uh, our young men. Cause we, we need that. We need that connectivity. Um, we as men are taught to be strong and we got this and, you know, we don't need no help. And that's when you start making mistakes. That's when you start, you know, messing stuff up. And so if, if I've got a, you know, I'm thankful to have Pastor Adrian Roberson, Pastor Sheldon Walker, uh, several other men in my life that have led me and guided me, uh, you know, through my mistakes and, and have taught and poured into me to make me who I am. And then, you know, what I believe the Lord will continue to, you know, push and, and, and aim me in, in the right direction. So um, just having those male mentors has, has been a great benefit to me. Uh, my father was a great man. He poured a lot into me. And after he passed away, the Lord allowed other men to come into my life and lead and guide me in the right direction. So that male mentorship is really important in regards to guiding um, young men in the right direction. That's, uh, that's excellent. Excellent. And uh, the, I think um, we just need more of that type of um, influence, males influence, positive male influencers to influence our young men. So thank you for that. So I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. During this season of Black Lives Matter, how has this present climate of racial unrest affected you personally? And uh, how have you been able to cope with seeing unjust activities done to other men of color around the country? Uh, so I, I'm, I'm an African-American. I'm a black man first. Um, and I don't even want to say that part. Uh, I'm a child of God first. Let me get that correct. I'm a child of God first. And then I'm, you know, God happened to put a little bit more color in my skin. And I'm thankful for that. Um, but even with that color in my skin, I realized you know, the, the, some of the L's of society and how they look at minorities, I'm not totally naive to that. Um, and also being a police officer, I understand I've, I've, I've been trained very well by this police department. Um, I am, uh, so that what I'm trying to get to is I see the side, I see both, both sides of a coin mm-hmm. and, um, those images of, of officers who, um, for whatever reason, uh, whether it be poor training, being caught up in the moment, or even if it is some um, racial issue, uh, it, it angers me. Um, it bothers me. It hurts me to see uh, the, those images from uh, George Floyd in Minneapolis, um, seeing officers uh, engaging in, in um, just activity that I know that isn't appropriate training. Um, and they, they, again, either they made a mistake or, um, again, I don't know. I don't, I can't read their hearts. I don't know their hearts. And so does the, to, to say that it's a racial and it's a racially motivated act. I don't feel free to say that, the, you know, I don't feel comfortable to say that. Um, but again, seeing those images, they do hurt, they bother me, they anger me. And, um, that, that, um, yeah, it, it bothers me. I, I just leave it at that. But during this, this, this season of Black Lives Matter, um, we had a few protests here in KCK, and it was encouraging to see um, our, our, a lot of our, our young adults stepping up um, and, and letting their voices be heard as to what they want. Because at the end of the day, law enforcement, uh, we are to serve 
our community as well as protect them. And so when you're serving, you have to understand who you're serving and how they would like to be served. Uh, now, law enforcement has its place, it has its foundations, and at the end of the day, I mean, we, tour, we are to enforce law, but if we're going to enforce it in a way that the community and, and law enforcement can work together, we have to have those conversations, we have to have those dialogues. Um, and so for me personally, uh, you know, luckily everything was peaceful here. Um, folks, you know, verbally lashed out, and we're trained on how to deal with that, and I've been in the game for 13 years now, so it's not much that you can say that it would really offend me. Um, but at the same time, I could feel some of the frustration and pain um, and, and then also feel the, um, the request of our community uh, in regards to transparency, in regards to, um, you know, greater relationships. And then that, that responsibility is on law enforcement, but we also need the help from the community on what that looks like and, and how to do that. So um, my request of those that are in the community is, you know, come and talk to us. Uh, we're human beings. I live here. I've lived here in Kansas City, Kansas, my practically my entire life. Um, I've worked here. I've, I went to school here. Um, so, I mean, just just come and talk. I mean, we can talk because more than likely we, we both agree on the same thing. But how are we going to get it done? We can we can yell at each other all day. You can you can yell across the street. But until we sit down and actually have that dialogue and talk about um what working together looks like. What do, what do you want your department to look like? Whether it's recruiting or policy or, you know, where our offices are at, come and talk with us. We're open. I mean, officers are available 24 seven. So just, just come and talk with us. Um, and so I think if, if anything, again, I get the anger, I get the frustration, I get angry, I get frustrated. I want to yell sometimes too. But once we get past that, that week or two of all that protesting and that, and that frustration, okay, what are we going to do about the policies? What are we going to do about the relationships? Um, and that's where the rubber truly meets the road. And so those same folks that were engaging in those activities, I'm asking y'all to come back now to the table and let's talk. Let's talk about what, we, what changes need to be made and how do we make them. Um, and sometimes that talking is around the table. Sometimes that talking is in voting, who you vote for and, 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 and some of those other systems and institutions that are in place to make those changes. So um, it's, it's been a very interesting time. I've learned a lot about uh, the community. I've learned a lot about the police department and, and, and I can say that changes need to be made, I think on both sides, but um, until we engage in that talking process, that development process, um, you know, those things won't, things won't be made or things won't be made right until we engage in that process. Mm -hmm. um, Officer Westbrook, I certainly appreciate your uh, candid and honesty and and just for the record I appreciate the police department I'm a firm believer in law and order and I celebrate the good uh, work um, and the honesty and and transparency of police officers who do operate under the influence of integrity so and um, I believe you to be one of those <laughs> And doing your employment with, and, and not to cut you off, but I, I would just say that there is so much good work happening. I don't want to take away from the negative things that we have, that we've experienced and we've seen. I mean, uh, I've, I've got a grandma who who's old enough, and she talks about picking cotton. Uh, I've got a, you know, uh, she talks about the Jim Crow era. She talks about, I mean, and this is within her lifetime. So, I mean, we're not that far removed where law enforcement was the face of hatred, was the face of discrimination, uh, was mm -hmm. the face of injustice 
uh, across this country. So I'm not that naive to think that, you know, all is, you know, fairy tales and rainbows and, and unicorns. Um, but th there is so much more work and a lot of things have changed in regards to how law enforcement's, you know, operating. And I think if we, if, if the community is wanting more from their law enforcement community, then, hey, we, we sit around the table again, there's a way to get things done. And of course they won't happen overnight. Nothing ever happens overnight, but those changes can be made. Those changes can be made and they can be made for the better. So where everyone walks away uh, with something. So I just want to get that off my chest too. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I'm glad you got all that done. <laughs> Thank you for that. So here, here is a pretty important question. I've, I've listened to several different uh, uh, community members and uh, different, they, they're saying different things, but the, here, here is a question that may challenge you just a bit. Uh, doing your employment with the police department, can you explain what is the worst uh, punishment a police officer has received for misconduct, inappropriate behavior, or falsifying documents to your knowledge? Which, what is the worst punishment or disciplinary procedure oh they've they've been followed they've been fired and charged uh through the district attorney's office uh that does happen uh those things aren't always uh publicized but it happens more often than you think um and and so if i can attest to at least here locally that if an officer is found to you know have engaged in some misconduct and it's it's revealed um for lack of better words we don't play that that's not played around with and, and it's mm -hmm. taken care of. And, um, you know, at least administratively, uh, I've, where I, where I met in the office, I see quite a bit of uh, discipline being handled or handed out. Um, mm -hmm. and so again, we don't always publish those things. This is not always public knowledge, but I, I do know that law enforcement is understanding the need for transparency and knowing that, uh, you know, what we could do, you know, 20, 30 years ago, that can't happen today. There's things you just can't sweep under the rug anymore. And so I, I, I and that's just from my personal experience, what I've seen. Um, yeah, uh, again, we're, we're, we're cleaning house when, when we come across things that are, that are not, um, that are not good. I don't know how to put it. Just we're, we're taking care of those things. Well, Officer Westbrook, that's really good news, and thank you for sharing that. And I think the community needs to hear that. Um, I know with the HR rules these days, there's so much that cannot be revealed. But it's just, it's just good to hear from a police officer that things that happened 30, 40 years ago, even 20 years ago, are not... Uh, um, afforded anymore in the police department, at least here in Kansas City, Kansas. And um, I would assume everything's not perfect yet, but it's you're working toward making uh, even more positive changes. We've been um, listening to um, our Captain uh, York and um, other Sheriff Ash and they have shared quite a bit of information about the training uh, with excessive force and other uh, training techniques. Uh, and so it's exciting to hear that they really are making some, some positive changes when it can be used and when it cannot. Can you share why we are experiencing, we continue to experience black on black crime in our urban communities across the country? 
Okay, well, I, I just give a shot at it. I don't. Uh, I, again, I don't plan. I don't. I don't claim to know all the issues in our urban core. I've just experienced. I can only attest to the things that I've seen and and heard. Um, I think there's an underlying issue of anger and frustration, and and, and not learning really how to manage that anger and frustration in the right way. Um, there's still. I mean, my whole life I've heard the, the saying that you know, snitches get stitches, um, and so. You know, we I, I think at times we we follow that that lack for lack of better words, that ignorant saying at times, you know, I'm not gonna say nothing. That ain't my business or but no, I mean that is we are our brothers and sisters keepers. And so if I know that my brother has an issue with another brother, or if I have an issue with another guy, and um, you know, my first reaction is to go and shoot him, you know, I have been angry enough in my personal life, I wanna go take somebody out. Uh -huh. Do I go ahead and talk to one of my mentors or my, my guidance, you know, someone that can talk some sense into me? Uh, I'd, I'd rather go that route than to end up making a, making a choice or decision that's going to affect my life forever. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I, I think it's a two-way street where, where folks have to learn how to speak up. Um, and then, you know, I think there's a responsibility on those who mentor some of our, our elders, some of the folks that are in the community to also speak up and address issues as we see them. Um, a lot of times we sit back almost for entertainment and, and, and looking for some tea to sip on while, you know, so-and-so is beefing with so-and-so. Um, and so a lot of those things that are, I think things that we need to address in our own communities first, um, that, that'd be the, the underlying issue to a lot of our, you know, our, our, our anger and frustration. I mean, we, well, and I'm, I'm coming from the, an African-American lens, um, uh -huh. especially young black men, um, you know, instead of talking about things or just dropping things and letting things go, it is the hip cool thing to go out there and fight and shoot at people. Um, that's, that, that, those images are glorified through movies and through music. Um, right. And, and so until we change our own minds, and I think the change agents are there. I mean, they're there through you know, community groups are there through churches, they're there through mentors, but for whatever reason, those things haven't taken a hold to us and they're not really being taught. Um, you know, I teach my young boys to walk away. If you can walk away, just walk away. It, it sucks to walk away. It's a big pill to swallow. You got to swallow your pride. You got to swallow your anger, but you know, you live to go on and you let God handle it. Now, again, that preaching ain't easy. That, that preaching ain't popular. Um, and it, at times it leaves you even more angry and more frustrated, but at the very least, you don't put yourself in a situation where, um, now you're held accountable, um, for, you know, for some action that you didn't want to really take. So, um, I think if that large, if that was applied to a lot of situations in our community, we wouldn't see, you know, homicide rate that's doubled than what it was last year. It is. Yes, yes. So this time last year, we, we were uh, half of what we're at right now. So I think we're at 31 homicides. This time last year, we were at 15, maybe 16 homicides. And that's just for Kansas wow. City. Now, if you can include Kansas City, Missouri, um, and their, their numbers have skyrocketed. Um, and so I, 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 there's, there's, there's other ways to handle the issues um, that we're facing. Um, And then, and then we can hop off into drug abuse and, and, you know, drugs being a means to, 
you know, make money and then sell them on someone's territory. Or um, they say that the, the root causes for homicides are, you know, relationships, money and, and, and drugs. <laughs>